friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Jesse Rubinoff, I'm Tim McAuliffe. This is the aptly named Tim and Friends for Friday, April 22nd, 2022. Lots of twos, and we're working towards the weekend, kids, but we're doing it in style. Alvin Williams will join us in studio to discuss the Raptors and Sixers. And despite the 143-0 stat, will Alvin play Lloyd Christmas and tell us there's a chance. We might also get into one of the craziest games that I have ever seen. Grizz and T-Wolves. And if Al ever thought of saying next question. We've all done it, right? Have we, though? I don't think I've ever been asked a question in that format like that. Next question. You mean like your wife hasn't asked you a question that you don't want to answer? <laughs> That's a good point. And you don't think in your I head, guess the cameras I, weren't rolling yet. I, I need to go next, next question, question here. Yeah. I need to go Drew Rosen. I'm going to try that tactic this weekend. Next question. We'll see what happens. I don't know if it works with your wife. <laughs> Homies, every once in a while, bust the next question out, and it works really well. Nice. It's good really advice. Really well. Good advice. Uh, our friend Arden Zwelling of the At The Letters podcast, he's in Houston. Jays and Astros kick off three games that he'll jump in to. We'll talk about homecoming of sorts for George Springer as he brings the AL East leading Toronto Blue Jays to Minute Maid Park. And another Friday, another massive loss to the hockey world after losing a long, arduous fight with cancer. Guy Lafleur lost today. The news coming exactly a week after the loss of Mike Bossy. Uh, we'll talk to his friend, his teammate, Ken Dryden coming up, and that's exactly where we start. First things first with Jesse Rubinoff. First things first. first. The man who many called the flower was the first overall pick in the 1971 draft by the Montreal Canadiens. He won five Stanley Cups with the franchise, as well as three Art Ross trophies, two hearts, and one Conn Smythe. Lafleur had been receiving treatment for cancer since September of 2019. He was 70 years old. Tim, yeah. your thoughts on the life and career of the legendary Canadian? Yeah, there, there are legends and there are icons. Guy Lafleur was an icon. He may have been both. Like, you have to understand the time, especially in Canada. The Leafs weren't that good. The Habs were great. They were winning cups. And for all the legends that were on those cup-winning teams, the flower always stood out. Like, yes, five cups were big. Three straight Art Ross trophies, really impressive. Add two hearts and a con Smythe, and you simply have one of the greatest players of all time. But Lafleur was more than just the numbers. I think it was Maya Angelou who once said, they may forget what you said, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And Lafleur just had that presence. He touched the puck, and everyone paid attention. You could feel it in the building when he got the puck. You could see it. When he got the puck, the long flowing locks of the flower coming down that right side represented all that was right in the game for a generation of hockey fans who were trying to figure out if the game was really about the Broad Street Bullies in Philly or the big bad Bruins of the time. And Lafleur and those Habs squad helped usher in a new era that redefined itself with skill and it led to the high-flying 80s and man did he have a knack of scoring big goals at big times just ask Don Cherry when he scored this one down the wing 
Special players make special plays on special days. That was Guy Lafleur. Just look at the outpouring of love and incredible memories that followed on social media today, like Lafleur's hair. Dave Stubbs, longtime columnist in Montreal, said Guy Lafleur has left us at the age of 70, cutting a hole in Quebec's heart forever. I thought ESPN's John Bouchergrasse, great description. A skating Louis Vuitton commercial who stylishly flew on the ice and murdered pucks. Ferrari winger that attracted all eyes during his shifts. Yes, he did. And whoever said, don't meet your heroes, never met Guy Lafleur. Martin Brodeur tweeting out a pic of him as a kid with Guy saying a true legend of the game and an even better person. Patrick Bois suggested en français an ovation might be more than a moment of silence. Hear, hear. To that I say. And the picks. Man, the picks got me today. From the shot of Lafleur, Bossy, and Gretzky with the Canadian maple leaf across their chest. To Maxime Lapierre's tweet. Jean Beliveau, Guy Lafleur, Maurice Richard looking to the heavens. Man, that is one hell of a skate in heaven right now. Those three dudes. And perhaps... One of uh, hockey's greatest pitchers. Lafleur being honored for his thousandth career point with a young Mario Lemieux in the background, in the crowd, standing and applauding 1,000 career points for Guy Lafleur. So good. In fact, the Pens tweeted a statement from Mario with that picture that read in part, as a boy growing up in Montreal, Guy was larger than life to me. I idolized him as a player. I respected him as a person. And I always cherished him as a friend. He will be missed. Hear, hear, Mario. Hear, hear. That's awesome. Well said, Timmy. Uh, Even though I act uh, younger than I actually am, I obviously didn't get (laughs) to watch him play. But I grew up worshipping legends of the game like so many Canadians uh, around this country. And um, there's a short list of uh, hockey, true hockey legends that are synonymous with the game. And you better believe Guy Lafleur is one of those guys. So the hockey world lost a great one. Yeah, I tried to separate between legend and icon. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. he was iconic. Like, you saw him flying down that wing, and you knew immediately who it was. Yeah. And very rarely in sports do you have, especially in hockey now where you've got helmets on or football, like, there are certain guys, though, you just see... Even the outline, and you know exactly who it was. And Guy Lafleur was definitely one of those guys. We'll talk to a friend and a teammate, Ken Dryden, a little later on, on the legend, the icon that was Guy Lafleur. Okay, shifting to last night's action, a busy night on the ice. Uh, The Canucks' playoff hopes took another blow with a 6-3 loss in Minnesota with just four games left now for the Canucks. The Flames beat the Stars to clinch the Pacific Division A. Matthew Kuchuk picked up his 40th goal and 100th point of the year. Florida beat Detroit to clinch the top seed in the East while tying a franchise record with their 12th straight win. And the Leafs, still without Austin Matthews, met a potential first-round opponent in Tampa and lost 8-1. Starting with Toronto, Tim. What was your biggest takeaway from a game that went off the rails a little bit between the Leafs and Lightning? Yeah, that was a pretty crazy game, was it not? Yes. I mean, there is a lot to digest there. I think the biggest takeaway for me was that the Leafs found a way in a game they did not give a bleep about to still be embarrassed. 
Like, that takes a certain amount of skill to be embarrassed in a game that you didn't care about. Like, you and I were sitting here yesterday saying, they're not playing Matthews, they're not playing Jack Campbell. They never even looked at Jack Campbell, Mm -hmm. despite the eight goals. Like, that's a skill to get embarrassed in a game that you don't give a bleep about. You don't really think that they're embarrassed. Like, the embarrassment to me means that this game actually matters. But you just said that this game didn't matter. Like, they just beat the Lightning 6-2 three weeks ago. You don't think that they were embarrassed by how they got beat up, how it was 8-1, how guys continued to struggle that have struggled? Like, I mean, listen, I I don't want to name names here because I feel bad for Mm -hmm. Justin Hall. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't even know if you can play him. He's lost all of his confidence. You had... Kucherov running around like a chicken with his cut, head cut off. You had Corey Perry doing the same things that Corey Perry always did, does, and the only guys that you could have to respond were a guy who Coco bonked a guy with a stick. That was amazing. And got a match penalty for it amazingly. Yeah. And Wayne Simmons continually fighting guys who are like 40 pounds heavier than Yeah, I thought the Leafs got embarrassed in that game. I think there comes a point in the game where uh, they just kind of stop playing, which is, is I mean, I, I don't want to say that that's alarming. Like, obviously, you would prefer if they didn't stop playing the game. They lost 8-1. But it's just, it's just one game. Like, it's Here's just the deal. one game. Here's the deal. I'll, have- I'll, I'll agree with you that it's just one game if they win in the postseason. If they don't win in the postseason, do you think this... If they face the Tampa Bay Lightning and lose, you still think that this meant absolutely nothing? Yeah, because why can't you say the exact same thing about them embarrassing Tampa 6-2 on April the 4th? You could have if they didn't lose 8-1 last night. But they didn't have their starting goalie and they didn't have their best player who's going to win the Rocket Richard and probably even the Hart Trophy. Okay. So so this all hinges on what happens in the playoffs. Yes, as it it has the entire year. And did you just give... The Tampa Bay Lightning, a ton of confidence that if they... And listen, this isn't locked in stone. They may not match. But I asked Justin Bourne yesterday if you could message send in a 76-77 game, depending on which team you're talking about, between the Leafs and the Lightning. And he said no. Do you think the Tampa Bay Lightning felt like that game last night wasn't about message sending? I'm sure it was. I'm sure that's what they were trying to do. But, Tim, if if that worked... If a meaningless game at the end of April, when there's five games left in the season, Dude. actually gets to the Leafs, then they are the Dude, soft ha- team that everybody accuses that happens, them of being. That happens all the time. You see it all the time. You've seen it since Guy Lafleur strapped on the skates. Games late in the season between two teams, there is message sending. And I th- listen, I thought Sheldon Keefe did what he could in that moment. He did not throw out his best players at mm-hmm. the end of the game just to get hurt in a meaningless game. He kept guys on the bench. He put out Wayne Simmons, who, by the way, um, drills <laughs> Sergachev and gets fined. And Clifford, for whatever the hell this is, I love that this is a match how, penalty. How is it a fine, even? Like, it's a two-minute high-sticking penalty, if at, that... I, at worst. It's the weirdest thing. At what worst. What is this league turning into? It's it ridiculous. I have no idea. And, and we know, like, listen, this was a big hit. From Simmons, and I thought Maroon did a great job getting him out of the game by just luring him into some sort of chat. He didn't want to fight him again. He just lured him into some sort of chat, and they ended up with 10 minutes apiece, and then Tampa doesn't have to worry. But 
Tampa instigated all of that. Yeah. The Leafs wanted no part of that game outside of maybe Clifford and Simmons. And even then, I thought they were just responding. And in the end, it was two Leafs that were fined. And Tampa's feeling good about themselves today, even though there are, I don't know, 40% of the Leafs fan base thinking that Nikita Kucherov kicked Mitch Marner on purpose. What do you think about that? I think it was accidentally on purpose. Like reckless is how I, th- I described it last night on Twitter. Like he, he just, he, that was, it, the momentum was taking him that way and he made absolutely no effort to not kick him with his skate. Accidentally on purpose? Yes. Yeah. That's what, that's the same thing essentially. Yeah, I mean... The, the, it could have been terrible. Could have been really bad. I mean, the Lightning were taking liberties last night, but the, to your point, they're trying to send a message. But what I'm saying is, if the Leafs don't have the leadership in the room to say, guys, it's one game, flush it. We've done really well against them. We've done well against playoff-bound teams. Let's move on to the postseason yeah. and just reset. Like, if you don't have that leadership in the room, then they need an entire okay, but, culture but, reset. But let me ask you a question. Have they shown that leadership to you in the past? Well, obviously, obviously no. no. Obviously no. Obviously so, no because of the playoff. Uh, so when you and I had success. the conversation after they were winning a game where they gave up a 3-1 lead, and I said to you, maybe you need to nip this in the bud right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And you disagreed with me at the time, and then you came around and agreed with me a couple months later when they continually did it. I feel the same about this game. I feel like you should have attempted to keep this one close. I don't think you put Jack Campbell in. I think you leave Jack Campbell on the bench and you you hide him from any of this nonsense. But I do believe by the end, there was a little message sending in a game that you and I thought there was going to be no message sending in. Um, Speaking of message sending, um, why is this clip the talk of the hockey world today, Tim? Have a listen. This has been a very physical contest. I was privy to your conversation with Pat Maroon here in between the benches. I know you guys have a history and have dropped the mitts before. He called you soft. My question is, are you? You should ask him. I don't, we've never dropped the gloves. He's never obliged me before. So, I don't know. I don't think I'm the one that's soft. Why does everything have to fire everyone up these days? Like, I feel like I'm fired up because everyone else is fired up. Like, why do we always have to do the us against them? Like, the reaction to that clip. Like, is Leah Hextall still trending in Canada right now? I think she is. Yeah. Like, the reaction to this is so 2022. Yes, there are a minority of idiots who don't want to hear a woman talk about sports. But why do we act like the minority is the majority? We amplify on this thing all the time when we don't need to give them oxygen. Treat them like the idiots that they are. It's pretty obvious that Leo was joking about the soft question. It didn't bug Wayne Simmons. Was it a good joke? Meh. Did it land? Meh. Did she make a mistake on them dropping the gloves in the past? Yeah. But welcome to my life about (laughs) once a week. And that might be a little bit forgiving. Like, bleep happens. We all make mistakes. But acting like Leah can't be questioned because she's a woman does us no good either. There's a thousand women that can do that job with their eyes closed. But that job draws that kind of reaction. Pierre Maguire got questioned all the time. Hell, Pierre Maguire got murdered. It's part of the business. We all do. Some of it warranted. Some of it ridiculous. But trending in Canada. Like, way too many overreactions, and I feel like I'm one of them right now. (laughs) But whatever, 2022 is going to 2022. Just ask yourself, like, was this worth getting this angry over it? And if it was, have at it, Haas. 
but it feels like much ado about nothing, and I don't know why I'm pissed off about much ado about nothing. Well, no, I think you made a really important point there, and that's that Wayne didn't seem to have a problem with it. So why are you on your couch watching the game at home complaining about it? Like, Be- he, he, he engaged with the question. Like because- he actually gave a great answer. He was candled himself with class. But this is in the middle of a very hot affair, and there are those, I don't, I'm not saying they're right, but there are those that felt like Leah injected herself into that game and maybe caused a fight, even though the fight was going mm-hmm. to happen regardless of what transpired. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to defend Wayne Simmons. Like, he can handle himself <laughs> appropriately. Yeah. And, obviously. And repeatedly obviously. does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How does he fight dudes that are like 60 pounds yeah. heavier than him repeatedly? He's... I, I don't know. He's, and Maroon was hanging on. Yeah. Like, Maroon's, what, 40 pounds I love. I love when they smile at each other during fights. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite things that happens in hockey. It happens more often. I have a buddy who is relatively tough, and he'll like me saying this on air, but who used to <laughs> laugh at people when he would get into fights, and it would just infuriate yes. people. Like, but, absolutely infuriate. I think that one was like a mutual <laughs> respect-ish type thing. Like, we've been jawing the whole way. I don't know about Let's, that. Yeah, well, maybe not. Um, <laughs> what about uh, the Canucks? Are they, uh, are they done? Yeah. Valiant effort. Valiant effort, but uh, running out of runway here. I, I grabbed Rob Williams' tweet from last night on Twitter because, listen, I, I thought they fought hard. Leas Pedersen again. It's unreal. Bad, like that is very encouraging for Bruce Boudreaux and the rest of the Canucks fans. But n- now, now you're looking at them having to go four and zero. And this is like, I respect what Rob does every day, and he says at the end, tough task. But that's what you got. You have to have LA to go one two and one, and Vegas to go two one and one. It, it's listen, slim and none. And we have, we've already said this, but I would have said that three weeks ago. It was absolutely done. And yet here we were in a game against Minnesota had they won that game. And it looked good for a while. Mm -hmm. They fought a good team tooth and nail. And I just, like the season, think they came up short. Yes. Uh, And again, shout out to Matthew Kachuk for 40 goals on the season and 100 points. Without a doubt. Uh, There are a lot of guys on that team who I've been really impressed with this year. And Matthew Kachuk, we all kind of knew, was at that level. And he has just taken it to the spot where people thought, at his best, he's 40, 50 goal guy. Uh, I don't know about 100 points. It's amazing. But he's there. It felt like it was at the quarter. Elevated his game. Yeah, the quarter pull of the season, everyone kind of realized that this might be the best line in hockey or one of them. And they have continued it the entire way through. Agreed. A little bit of breaking news. um, Oh, really? From the Raptors Sixers series here. Uh, Ramona Shelburne is reporting that Philadelphia 76ers star Joel Embiid is experiencing pain and discomfort in his right thumb, but practiced it and expects to play in game four. It's possible he gets an MRI in the near future Hmm. to determine the extent of the injury. we saw him adjusting his uh, wrist, his thumb a little bit, but we'll see how that weighs. Maybe we can ask Alvin a little yeah, bit later. Sometimes I wonder if he's playing things up because he does like to lure people to sleep yeah. and then explode. Um, there is definitely some mind games, but the idea of a torn ligament in his thumb, uh, as I have, and I'll say this, uh, I have torn ligaments in my <laughs> right now, ring finger, literally. Uh, and it doesn't hurt at all, but it's got it in a weird spot. Right. So if there are torn thumb ligaments, depending on where they are, uh, it could play a factor on the way he shoots and the way he operates down low. Um, so that, that could be a factor. And Nick Nurse said today, 
Someone's got to do it. If you're looking for silver linings as a Raptor someone's fan, someone's got to do it. Yeah, someone's got to do Although it. Although it looks like Scotty Barnes is not going in Game Four. That doesn't. That does not help. Yeah, he's definitely. Yeah. It would be helpful to have a future Hall of Famer. In All right. So some breaking news: Raptors, Sixers, Embiid, and then the Scotty Barnes doubtful. Now let's get to uh, one of the great games Whoa. that, frankly, we have ever seen in the NBA. An incredible comeback by the Grizzlies in Game Three against the Timberwolves. Memphis trailed by as many as 26 points before coming all the way back, winning 104-95. They now lead the series 2-1. Tim, did the Grizzlies earn that comeback, or did Minnesota blow that game? Uh, as always, those are, are the, the answers both. Both. Give the Grizzlies credit, and the Timberwolves were ugly. And it seemed like it got away from them a couple of times. I mean, listen, Grizzlies go on a 15-0 run in the first half. They go on a 21-0 run in the second half. You would think that learning from the first 15-0 run that the Timberwolves would have a better response once they got into the middle of the next 15-0 run, and they did not. Um, I guess that there's a bunch here that I want to get to. I don't think we have time. Let's play the Carl Anthony Towns clip from after the game. And let me remind you, Carl Anthony Towns had among the worst games that he has had in his postseason career and or his career. He had eight points. He only attempted four field goals. He had four turnovers and five fouls. And people were asking him what happened, and this was his response. Four shots for you, just... What did you see out there, and why did it? Why was it so hard Next for you question. to get the ball? You did it twice too. You didn't want to answer. Like, if that's the star on your, is that is this a generational thing? Am I missing something? No, here? you can play the young guy. Like, no, 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 no. I actually think that this goes back to remember how they celebrated in the play-in. Yeah, and they celebrated like it, they had won the championship, and we said, "Oh, that's that's cool." For the most part, they're they're having fun. But I think that answer of sort of speaks. Doesn't it speak to the like the immaturity of the Timberwolves that they haven't been here before and they don't know how to handle just, themselves in these situations? Just contrast what Cat was doing to what we saw from Fed Van Vliet when he had a rough game yeah. and the Raptors went down three games to none. He sat there and said, "We have nobody to blame but ourselves. We've got to be better. We'll find a way." And here's Cat going next question. Yeah, it does speak to the immaturity. You can like the guy. You can like the team and understand that there are flaws. We're all flawed. And I, I think that showed a flaw. Like Shaq, or excuse me, Chuck did not have the same sort of empathy you and I had. Here's what Charles Barkley had to say about it. That was embarrassing for basketball. <laughs> I mean, for, that was the coaching staff in Minnesota should be just embarrassed as the players. <laughs> like that's... That is saying something. And, and listen, pass the butter because Chuck was on a roll. Not only did he hit him with the embarrassing, but he may have had the clip of the week. Yeah, week or month. Year. Yeah, yeah. Could go that far. Charles Barkley describing play in the post. Banging and banging and banging. When a guy's banging you, you, don't, you spin off of him. Those are the worst defenders to play against, actually, because if you can feel their body, uh, come on. 18 points for Joker, only nugget in double figures. 69-59. Still to come on this Friday edition of Tim and Friends. Hockey Hall of Famer Ken Dryden will join us. We will celebrate the life of Guy Lafleur, Arden Swelling in Houston, Jay Strohs, plus... 
Friday tradition of the best of the week. But up next, my good friend Alvin Williams will join us in studio. Talk Raptors. You're watching Tim and Friends. And the weekend is here, kids. Simmons, Maroon, Simmons, Maroon. Here we go. This is going to be a good first rounder if we get there, boys. <laughs> now he's bragging about how many cups he's got. Love it. <laughs> I think if he's ready to go, I mean, if they feel like he's ready to go, we play him. We're getting some Malokio done. For you, Scotty Barnes. And now we have a fight in front of the mound. Dugouts are clearing. Punches are being thrown. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Raptors back at practice today after Wednesday's heartbreaking Game 3 loss to the Sixers. Game 4 goes tomorrow. You can see it on Sportsnet starting 1.30 Eastern time, according to reports. Joel Embiid may have a torn ligament in his thumb, but still plans to play. Scotty Barnes has missed the last two games with a sprained ankle, now doubtful for Game 4. After Game 3, Nick Nurse seemed very optimistic he'd be ready to go for Saturday, but a little less so today. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, he's um, um, but not going to rule out the possibility they may play, but he's still doubtful. Did did go through a little bits of practice today, um, but that's where we are. Does the calculation change on playing Scotty if you're if you're down two one versus? Yeah. I don't think so. I think if he's ready to go, I mean, if they feel like he's ready to go, we play him. I mean, like like I've been saying, this team needs these games. He needs them. We haven't seen him at all, really, in this series. We need we need to see him and see what he's gonna gonna look like out there. Um, so we need to get him out there, and we need to get a game so we can give him some more games. There's Nick Nurse on Scotty Barnes in studio. Is the homie Alvin Williams as we discuss what is going on in this three nothing series lead about two teams you know pretty well. How are you, man? I'm doing well, man. Thanks yeah. for finally having me, man. Maybe finally having you. You're know, busy yeah, yeah, doing yeah. big things with big people, and then uh, you grace us with our presence in the <laughs> studio. Uh, how are you enjoying year number one? You're doing a wonderful job full time. Oh, year number one. I love it, man. I, I, I really do love it. It's, it's the it's been a long time that I get nervous and anxious before a game again, yeah. right? I haven't had that feeling since I played, and it's a challenge, and, and it gets me to look at the game from different angles now. Yeah. And now it's just projecting it and just learning the, learning the landscape. So that's, that's also fun. So I'm just nice. excited to continue to improve. But you, you gave me my start, man, working, no, working but, with you, Doc. But the truth is, is that I, when I stopped, play, I stopped playing in high school, uh, because I had a bunch of injuries, and frankly, I was terrible. But once I was done, the only thing that gave me the same sort of rush yeah. was calling games live. Like, yeah. not even here. It's not the same. Like, doing this, just right. shooting the breeze, right. this is easy. When you do a live game yeah. and you're reacting to you don't know what, yeah. Yeah. there's kind of a rush in there. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. It is. And I remember, you know, everything was shut down for a minute, so we had to do yeah. things from the studio. And then, even during the games with no fans, totally a different – it's a total different – when you get those experience, fans, 20,000. So, last night, or, or Wednesday, yeah. was the game Wednesday, Joel and B picked up a foul, and I was saying something, and the crowd just, and it, it shook me. I, I turned around and looked. <laughs> I forgot I was even talking. So it's, it's a great feeling, man. It's a real exciting. Uh, that and Matty D hits you every once Maddie, in a while. Oh, Matty D. Hype. 
Matty D's like a, a, a linebacker in there, man. He's bumping me. I didn't realize that's that's his thing. I'm like, I think he's trying to wake me up or something. He's, yeah. he's really hitting me. He's yeah. hitting me hard. Yeah, he's giving you shots. Yeah, yeah he's giving have me shots. Have you just thrown one back just to nah, say back I, up? I caress his back a little bit. Relax, buddy. Relax. Yeah, take it easy. Uh, Nick said someone's got to do it, and I guess he's right. Someone's got to come back from 3 nothing down in an NBA series, but... 143 and 0 is pretty damn daunting. <laughs> that is a yeah. you're going to need a sherpa to get out of this hole. Do yeah. they have like how do you look at this? How do you go in as a player and say, "Oh man, we're down 3 nothing." I mean, you it's it's a reality down 3-0, but every player, trust me, they feel especially after game 3, you feel like we can win. This is all we have to do. If we would have done this, 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 we would have won. Or if we just had did one thing different. So as a player, you're always ready to get it in, ready to play. And then once you get that win and once you get those plays going, that momentum, then you, just don't, you don't even start thinking about the record. You start thinking, oh, that's one. Let's, right. let's get another one. Right. Because when you really think about it, it's the first team to four. Right. The Raptors got their game on Wednesday, right? Like that was the game that the Raptors want to play, is it not? I mean, they missed shots, but the way the game was played, it felt like it was much more suited to Raptors basketball. Yeah, it was. You know, from the beginning, the outset, I love the way they double team Joel and B. I love they would trap him and double him after the dribble, off of the dribble. So when he started getting to his moves, they would come. Right. They come from behind. They come from baseline. They came from different angles, and they kept him off balance. Was that a difference from the first two games? I think or? they had more activity. Right. And I think the timing was there. They were more physical. They were more assertive with it. So that that and they switch up their defenses and Joel Embiid I don't think he came out with the same fire as he came out in the first two games. So right. and that's what you can rely on sometimes. The the opposing teams they may not come out the same way with the same intensity and then right. jump on them, especially being at home. But it stinks that they lost that game three because going into game four and then possibly having a Scotty back, it's a, it would be a different outlook in this series. Uh, Joel Embiid made up for that start with his second half. He yeah. was unbelievable. Yeah. You did some work with the Sixers back yep. in the day. Mm-hmm. Is, is this a different Joel Embiid that you're seeing this regular season, and more specifically the playoffs? Because the playoffs is a different beast. 100%. Really? Joel Embiid was always very talented, always like a freak of nature with his size, his ball handling ability, his shooting ability. But I think now he's learning how to be a star. He's learning how to be a leader. He's learning how to accomplished great things. I think before, I won't even say he would get distracted, but he had other things that he was concerned with, tweeting, messing around with the other. You don't see that anymore from him. He's dealing with his team and his greatness, and I believe he has a coaching staff as well, although Brett Brown and the coaches there were doing a very good job at the stage that they were in. But with with, uh, Doc Rivers, and I got a chance to talk to Sam Cassell, they're holding him accountable, and they're challenging him. If he's not stepping up, they're going to be like, hey, man, what's going on? Are you ready to play? Right. So he wants to be great. I've always noticed that about him. So this is a total different different guy that we've seen in the past. And sometimes you got to take the pains, right? Like the yeah. pains yeah. force you to want to – like I described it to Jesse is there's sometimes guys and then there's everyday guys. Yeah. And to be that everyday guy is bleeping hard. Yeah. Like there's only a handful of them in the league. And it feels like Embiid is now that – Everyday guy. Yeah, and, and you say you got to go through the pains. He's they had some tough losses. He's going through injury. He's going through personnel change. He's going through coaching change. So he's going through everything that you can pretty much imagine, and he's going through the criticism. So 
these are the things that we've talked about, even our players, when you talk about a Pascal Siakam, you right. talk about a Kyle Lowry or these guys, they had to go through a lot of pain to get to the place where they are. Same thing with him. Same thing with a Kobe Bryant. Same thing with a Michael Jordan, LeBron James. The Drives great ones you. have to go through. Yeah, for sure. And if it doesn't, then you don't want them anyway to be your guy. So to figure that out, and listen, I, I, don't, I think they looked at Ben Simmons and said, He's not that guy, and that's why he's not there anymore. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you wait and wait and wait. The Raptors with Pascal Siakam are doing that. They're trying to figure out, okay, we know he's good, and anyone out there who doesn't think he's really good, you've lost your damn mind. (laughs) But to get to the handful of guys, to get Mm -hmm. to that from really, really good to elite, like, how hard a step is that, Alvin? And... And do you think that's what the Raptors are trying to figure out with these last couple of years, Pascal and, and to a certain extent Fred? But we all know that if Fred went to a great team, he'd be a great player. All right. No, both of them, right? I, I feel like with Pascal Siakam, this is the phase of his career where he's constantly learning. He hasn't played a lot of it. I don't, I'm not sure if he grew up playing basketball since the age of five, oh, six. He played started around, at 18. You know, he started at 18. Yeah. Went to college, New Mexico State, right? Yeah, and figures then it out, yeah. The, you're starting to figure it out. He goes to the G League. He, the thing about it, he got success so early on, and he got the ultimate success. He won the championship. Yeah. So now a Kawhi Leonard leaves, and now he's thrust in that number one position with a team, an organization, a country that's expecting that same output. And that's not the case. He wasn't there. He's not the same player that he was back then. He's a much better player, and he's going to continue to get better. He's going to continue to get stronger. He's going to continue to read defenses. He's going to continue to work over over his his overall skill set. He's much better skill-wise. Now, being that guy in the playoffs where Doc Rivers and all those coaches over there, we have to stop. Right. Pascal Siakam. Game planning. This is what he likes to do. This is where he likes to get the ball middle of the floor. They're keeping him. They're trying to keep him out of there. They put a zone in there. They put Tobias Harris. So now, watching film, now doing your homework, all of those things on his side, he has to take ownership of that. And he's going to do that because I've seen the jump. I remember when he couldn't go left. I, I, I remember watching him, and right. he, would, he would go left and then spin back right. right. Now he's going right, spinning back, now he's shooting. So he's growing. and just, it's, It takes patience. I feel like we could talk basketball for a long time. I remember Chris Bosh going through that in the playoffs, and that led to him bouncing. That mm-hmm. led him to going to Miami where there would be other guys who could take away from what you're talking about with Pascal Siakam. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if fans see that enough. Uh, Magic Johnson on Scotty Barnes. There's a lot of showtime in him. He can do everything on the basketball court much like myself. He's big, he's strong, he's physical, he can make his teammates better. Like I was able to do, he's a matchup nightmare like I was. Could Scotty Barnes turn into that elite that we're talking about right now? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. He, he's special, man. Yeah. He's, he's somebody, and what makes him special in my eyes is to be that young with that type of feel. So the quote that Magic Johnson just had right there, he can read defenses. He has an ability to pass the basketball. And... Wayne Embry always told, he told me early on, he was like, the best quality of a score is the ability to pass. So now you can't double team, you can't, and you can find your teammates. And now the one-on-one, he can use his size, his athletic ability, and he has, just has a know-how. And I'm telling you, if he didn't get hurt in this series, it would be a different series because he's the one player that the Sixers would have to adjust to 
and it's hard to adjust to him because he does so much right. without even a play being called for him. So you just never know. He can get it off the glass. He can push it. He can get it in transition. He can score. He can post up. And he can defend one through five. I was so impressed with that game one. Like, that was your first NBA playoff game. On and, the road. And you could argue he was the best Raptor with champions on the floor. Yeah, like, on the like, road. Yeah, on the yeah. road. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to get into Jalen Brunson. I wanted to get into Cat. But I just like talking basketball with you, and we've run out of time. Man, we, it's over already? Yeah, jam done. The meter ran out, man? That's not me. Dude, yeah, it's, that just it's not happened. me either. Yeah. Well, oh, it's me. Are you saying it's me? It's me. <laughs> oh, oh, it's you. It's, it's me. I, I, I'll give you. I got to become a bigger, a bigger, a, a star or something. You, you want to kick a star out of here. Get, get two segments? Yeah. You can get two segments anywhere you want. But we have the best of the week coming up. Love it. Uh, Alvin Williams, everybody. Love chatting basketball with you. Time for a break. When we come back, it is the best of the worst the past seven days. This is what we got Alvin out for. The best of the week coming up next. <laughs> Always love talking basketball with Alvin Williams. I also love Best of the Week. We scour the internet to find the absolute best videos. We ask you to choose your favorite. We'll show you the options. You can head over to our Twitter account, at Tim and Friends, to vote. That's how the Best of the Week works. Our first nominee comes from the West Coast. With this week, Marshawn Lynch and rapper Macklemore became minority investors. Well, Macklemore's white, but you get what I'm talking about. Minority investors in the Seattle Kraken. That joke was going around. (laughs) (laughs) What better way for the uh, beast mode to make his presence felt with his new team than to take the Zamboni out for a spin? A trilly. I think so. <laughs> Nobody has more fun than Marshawn Lynch. Like he could, I feel like he could be doing anything. And he's I, like a little I would, kid. Listen, I would. It can go completely awry, but I would love to have Marshawn Lynch in the show. Like I think there is a lot to that dude, and people only get these little tastes of what Marshawn can do. Mm-hmm. But like he's amazing in his community. He is constantly doing work in the community, and then you see these little tastes of Skittles and hit him over and over and. My, one of my favorite clips of all time is him saying, it's different when you hit a guy over, 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 over. But that's true. Like, there is insight in there. And some people just take the Skittles thing away and they take the, hey, look at him being fun on the Seattle Kraken Zamboni. There's a lot there. Yes, there would be a lot to unpack. I don't think yeah. you'd only get one block. I think you'd need him here for a couple. Yeah, and, it, <laughs> and, 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 and on the day, he might just say, I don't want to talk to this yeah, dude. Yeah, probably. Which is part of the beauty probably, of it. Probably, yeah. Uh, yesterday, the NHL announced the return of their global series with the regular season games being played in Prague and Finland. Finland being chosen shouldn't be too surprising. They're reigning Olympic gold medalists in men's hockey, not to mention their networks are delivering 
calls like this on ridiculous NHL goals. Ylivoimalla Mousaider 20. Lukas Reimut 18. Kalepesuusi täällä Dylan Larkin molemmat 13 pistettä. Sieltä tulee Barkko alivoimalla. Alivoimalla! Tämä on kiellettyä lapsilta! Tämä on kiellettyä lapsilta! Anton Lundell 6-0! Katsokaa tuota Sassa Barkovin sairasta peliä! Katsokaa tuota Barkovin aivan sairasta peliä! Lukas Raymond menettää kieko. Tälle kaverille ei kannata menettää kieko. Katsokaa mikä kiekon suojaus. Hän ottaa Mousaiderin mukaansa katsoja jalkovälistä jättää Lundelille, joka pääsee työntämään tyhjään. Aivan järkyttävä rieno peli Aleksane Barkovilla jälleen kerran. Ah, V-Sport 1. What can't they do on V-Sport 1? That's the reaction you should have, right? When the goal like that is scored? Like, I know you gotta be professional or whatever. I but, think so. But, I mean... If they ever let me do play-by-play like play around here... That, that would be you? <laughs> Every once in a while, that would be me. Chuckles per 60. Is Every once in a while, that would be me. Uh, we go to the pitch for nominee number three, and when you get a free kick opportunity outside the box, if you have the right guy, just let him go for it. Sometimes the manager will send the decoy out to fool the defense. Then you have Zenit, who decided to take their strategy to... different этим ищукам. Ну что, Хадарцев будет бить? Да, вот он розыгрыш. Где Солдатенко? Прибежит вратарь. Вот, смотрите. Удар и гол! 2-2! Ничего себе! Вот это Алания! И повеселили, и забили! Pretty nice. Um, would you be able to stop that? No. I can't even, I can't even hardly move. Why are you laughing? Because that? that was such a rhetorical question. Yeah. I, I mean, I've never seen you play. Maybe you're actually like, really good. But I mean, the only story that I know about you playing soccer is your finger, which is, you know, still an issue. So. <laughs> it's my, yeah, my bad. Sorry. One day. Mm-hmm. You go in that, you strap on the pads, and right? You, yeah, okay, yeah. I'll go one-on-one with you. Okay. And then I'll go in that in soccer, okay. and we'll see who does better. Are you sure you want to do that, though? Because, um... Listen, the finger will have to get better. The four, the, I'm just saying, the 40... Didn't go well. Uh, the target practice. Didn't go well. You want to... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, sure. You, you and your short little legs over there. They are yeah. incredibly yeah. short. I, I give that yeah. to you. Yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to undress you. Short arms, too. On live national television. Long You're going to be standing though. there in your jock. Yeah. Let's end the Bring best it. of the week <laughs> <laughs> on a feel-good note. Final nominee comes to us uh, from a machine-pitched little league where a kid is struggling to make contact at the plate. Pitching machine little league. His supporters cheering him on, offering him some advice, choke up on the bat. It's the other team's catcher who steps in and displays some world-class sportsmanship. I love it. Oh. A little faster, Swing a little faster. Avery, choke up on the bat, baby. Oh, come on, Avery. Choke up. The accent's wonderful. Choke up on the bat, Avery. Look at right. That is so sweet. (laughs) There you go, buddy. There you go. Swing fast. 
That is so sweet. What does teammates think about that? The catcher. Yeah, he gave him a mouthful. Yeah, he gave us the dugout. And just, what are you doing? You can't be doing that. Huh? You crazy? You helping the other team? <laughs> no, they didn't. No, definitely not. That By was, the way, that's very nice. uh, the very video nice. not nearly as good if the woman doesn't have the accent that the woman had. Agreed. Uh, head over our Twitter account, at Tim and Friends, and make your pick. If you missed any of the nominees or just want to hear that woman's accent one more time, you can go to our Twitter account, at Tim and Friends as well. Uh, here's what we do. You guys vote. We tally up all the votes. Well, actually, Twitter does. Twitter does, yeah, yeah. And yeah, then we figure album. out who yeah. won it. Yeah. All right. Uh, time for a break. When we come back, Ken Dryden is going to join me. And we are going to look back at the life and the legacy of one of the greatest to ever play, Guy Lafleur. Plus, George Springer makes his return to Houston as the Jays open up a weekend set against Justin Verlander in the Strohs. We have breaking news on Springer. We'll check in with Arden Zwelling live from the Lone Star State. You're watching. Uh, he's not playing. I know you can just Google it and it'll come up quick, so I, oh, I, I shouldn't tease it. you like that. <laughs> just stick around. We'll talk about it. Time for real sports talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much, Sheep Dogs. Welcome back. Tim and friends, Tim McAuliffe alongside Jesse Rubinoff. As always, we're here with you for another 30 minutes on Sportsnet before Hockey Central takes over. Full hour on Sportsnet 360. Coming up, we will go live to Houston. Check in with Arden Zwelling as the Jays get set to open a weekend series with the Astros. Ross Stripling will make his second start of the season for the Jays against Justin Verlander, who's looked good after missing all of last year, recovering from Tommy John surgery. George Springer back in Houston for the first time since signing with the Jays, however, won't start due to his wrist injury, but we're told he is available off the bench. Don't worry just yet, Jays fans, and I know that my words will not mean anything to you. Ramel Tapia is actually going to lead off against the Astros tonight. Zach Collins with DH bat fifth, while Bradley Zimmer will fill in for Springer in center field. I don't know if we looked at the lineup that the Jays had at the start of the year and envisioned this. Yeah, that's not it. This early in the season, but we'll have more with Arden Swelling coming up. <laughs> Zach Collins batting five. Later this Love hour. It. And DHing. Yeah. And DHing. <laughs> Game four between the Raptors and the Sixers will go tomorrow as we move to basketball. Coverage starts 1.30 Eastern time on Sportsnet. Now, according to reports, Joel Embiid may have a torn ligament in his thumb, but still plans to play. Joel, if you're in Toronto and you're watching this right now, just call into the show. You can tweet in at Tim and Friends and let us know if indeed you're going to play. Scotty Barnes officially listed as doubtful after missing the last two games with a sprained ankle. No NBA team has ever come back from 3-0 down. I think for us, it's like, again, like, we, we felt like we were super close last game, like, and, and that was, like, an opportunity to get one. Um, but at the same time, like, it's, it's one game at a time. Like, that's the only the only approach we can have. Like, uh, I mean, history is cool, but, like, I think it's this one tomorrow. Like, this is the most important game of, of our, like, our lives, basically. And, and I think that um, that's all that matters. Like, we got to get that one, and then, you know, we got to think about the rest. <laughs> Well, I think it's a heck of a challenge, and uh, somebody's got to do it. 
That's the way I look at it. Somebody's got to do it. And if it gets to 3-1, it's not 3-0 anymore. And 3-1's been done. Okay. <laughs> I liked it until the chuckle at the end. Yeah, because he seemed like he wasn't being serious. Yeah. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Honestly, I am. Well, four games in the NHL tonight, including the Oilers hosting the Western Conference leading Avs here in the Edmonton region. You can see that game. Sportsnet West, seven local, nine Eastern for more on tonight's game. Gene Principe. Gino. Tim, first off, it's a star-studded night when the Edmonton Oilers uh, take on the Colorado Avalanche. It is their final meeting of the season. The Avalanche uh, going plus 60 minutes to win the first two times this season, once in a shootout and once in overtime. Uh, A couple of things on the line for both of these teams, and it has to do with their position in the standings. Colorado currently starts the evening two points back of Florida as they continue to chase the President's Trophy. For the Oilers, they're two points up on Los Angeles for home ice advantage and second spot in the Pacific Division, but it's pretty simple, the math. If the Oilers win tonight, they will clinch a playoff spot. Jay Woodcroft talking about the fact these are two motivated teams with still a lot to play for late in the season. And Zach Hyman, who's been through this before as a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, was asked whether it's time to reflect on the situation the Oilers are in. He said, no, no time to reflect and certainly no time to relax until you see that X beside your team name, which denotes the fact, Tim, as you know, that you do have a playoff spot and have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, sometimes X's mean something different to me beside my name. As we told you earlier today and talked about, for most of the first block, lost a legend today. Guy Lafleur passed away at the age of 70 after a long battle with cancer. A statue of Lafleur that uh, sits outside the Bell Centre has been serving as a makeshift memorial to the icon. And earlier today, owner Jeff Molson, head coach Martin Saint-Louis, spoke about Lafleur's legacy. At the end of the day, he's a winner. Um, and he won in every, every part of his life. Um, but on the ice, um, he's somebody who um, was completely dedicated to being the best he possibly can be every single day. You know, you lose a... For me, you lose, like, my first, like, hero, so to speak, you know? And, and I got to, to, to befriend Guy a little bit. Like, it's not like we were close or anything, but I, I shook his hand a few times, uh, you know? And his presence at my mom's funeral, like, you become to really understand, like, the human, how nice of a guy he is. Without a doubt, Stephen Brunt has more on the life and the career of Guy Lafleur. Well, right now, as you watch the Stanley Cup playoffs, you are privileged to watch Guy Lafleur of the Canadian, the man many say is the finest hockey player in the world today. He is tremendous when it comes to scoring goals and lighting the red light. Now look at the many talents of Guy It was all there in those moments of exquisite anticipation. The acceleration up the right wing, those smooth, powerful strides, and of course, the hair. In the days before hockey players became anonymous helmeted warriors, blown back as if by a Hollywood wind machine. No one called it a flow in those days, but his was the granddaddy of them all, suggestive of only one thing, speed. Looking at the decade of the 70s, 
I don't think there was another player, uh, a skater for sure. Uh, obviously, Guy's forward was number one in that era. Lafleur had become a star in his home province before he became a teenager, dominating the famous Quebec Kiwi tournament three years in a row. He graduated to the Junior Quebec Rampart, and in his final remarkable season, won the Memorial Cup and scored 130 goals in 62 regular season games. From the Quebec Ramparts, Gilles Lafleur. The first practice I saw him with, with Montreal Canadian, I said, wow, what a player that's going to be. Lafleur won his first of five Stanley Cups with the Habs in 1973. But it was the 1974-75 season that represented his real breakthrough. The first of six consecutive seasons in which he scored 50 or more goals and ascended to the level of stardom to which he had long seemed destined. I think for any kid growing up uh, in the 70s in Montreal uh, and to see the Montreal Canadiens win Stanley Cup after Stanley Cup and having Guy the best player in the world and, and uh, uh, the excitement that he brought to the game. Uh, he was my idol and, and uh, always wanted to be like him, play like him and, and uh, do some of the plays that he did and, and uh, certainly enjoyed uh, watching him in the 70s. That collection of Canadians won four consecutive Stanley Cups between 1976 and 1979. Lafleur led the league in scoring for three of those seasons and twice won the Hart Trophy as the league's most valuable player. He had finally earned his place among the Immortals. It ended badly for Lafleur in Montreal. The Habs dynasty was long finished by 1985, and Lafleur's skills had significantly eroded. Jacques Lemaire was coaching the team, and his defense-first philosophy was antithetical to Lafleur's attacking nature. He asked to be traded, but general manager Serge Savard knew that the fans would never forgive him if he did. Left with what he believed was no alternative, Lafleur retired 19 games into the season. He finished and remains the all-time leading point scorer in Canadians' history. Well, I never uh, doubted in my mind that I was not able to score to 40 or 50 goal again. It was tough enough to uh, uh, read the paper or uh, heard people talking, uh, when are you going to get out of your slump, things like that. So that's why I decided to retire. That's one of the reasons why. By the time he returned for a late career swan song, with the New York Rangers and Quebec Nordique three years later. Lafleur had already been inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. The only others on that list, Gordie Howe and Mario Lemieux. But for flashes, he was no longer the player burned into so many memories. Still, if you closed your eyes and used your imagination, you could conjure him up. You could remember those nights at the Forum, when he got the puck and flew down the wing and the crowd rose, expecting magic. Awesome as always, Mr. Brunt and his longtime Montreal columnist Dave Stubstead today. The loss of Lafleur has cut a hole in Quebec's heart forever. 
So much so the premier offering a state funeral if the family so chooses. There are legends, there are icons. Guy Lafleur may have been both, as is our next guest, a former teammate and friend of Lafleur. Ken Dryden joins me now. Welcome back to the show, Ken. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks, Tim. I, I know there are a lot of folks talking about the hockey player, but you knew the man. Tell us a little bit about the man. Um, well, Guy was, Guy was a small-town kid. I mean, he, uh, he grew up in Thurso um, on the north shore of the Ottawa River between Montreal and Ottawa. And, um, and I'm not sure that he ever... Uh, that he, I mean, he became, um, oh, uh, I mean, he lived the sophisticated life of, of Montreal. And, uh, uh, but I don't know that he was ever not a, a small town kid. And, and, uh, uh, and as natural as he seemed to be and as he earned himself to be on the ice, I think he had to really work at it off the ice, that, that he, he was shy and, and, uh, um, and, and focused and he he absolutely understood his responsibility. And if and if you were a member of the Montreal Canadiens in in the uh, in, in the nineteen seventies, um, you knew you had a responsibility. I mean, the, the, the Canadians by that time had become the legendary Canadians uh, after winning five in a row in the late nineteen fifties, and then winning often in the sixties, and then and then into the seventies. And and Guy Lafleur was the best player on that best team. Mm-hmm. And, and he absolutely was along the line of Rocket Richard and Jean Beliveau. And then, and then he was next and everyone knew it. The fans knew it. The media knew it. Um, uh, it was talked about. It was assumed. Uh, it was all um, <laughs> as if it had been predetermined. And and so he was going to have to carry that uh, with it and with him. And I'm not sure that the that the third in line um, that that role isn't isn't the hardest of all, because there are now um, you know 15 years of expectations that have been created, 15 years of appetite that is there, and and um, um, and he's going to have to find a way of of fulfilling that. And um, um, and it's and 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 as well as that as as the best player, you you know you you have all of that focus of attention off the ice. And in Montreal, there was far more off the ice um, focus than in any other city, including in Toronto. Yeah. And even even though it was before a time of all sports radio and all sports TV. Um, Montreal had, I think, six daily newspapers at the time, um, four in French, two in English. There were all the radio stations, both in French and in English, the TV stations in French and in English. And, and every one of them had sports departments. And if you had a sports department, your job was to cover the Canadians. And so the most visible person um, is the best player. And the most visible player anyway is Guy, because that's how he plays. Yeah. And he 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 took that on, and 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 it was not easy, but he he carried it. Mary Lemieux called him larger than life, and it seemed from afar that he had that presence. But also, Ken, that rare touch of having the presence—I say special players make special plays on special days—but he also had the rare touch of having 
the humility to go with it. Is that fair? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that again, it goes back. I think you know, he was that small town kid. He grew up in really modest circumstances, right. and and uh, um, and and I don't think that ever left him in, in entirely. And and uh, um, and in Montreal, in order to play on those teams, um, you had to be a little bit humble because you just looked up in the rafters and you see the retired jerseys of of players that that were heroes of your own when you were growing up and and you knew that no matter how good you were going to be or how good you were you were never going to be as good as they were and 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 that was the nature of 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 life with the canadians Guy Lafleur, no matter how good he was he was never going to be the rocket he he knew that uh, Larry Robinson knew he was never going to be Doug Harvey. Toe Blake or Scotty Bowman knew he was never going to be Toe Blake. Right. Um, that's what was in in our minds, and so you know you were you had a responsibility. You had a responsibility to yourself to live up to what was was in you, um, and and you were also competing against not only the other team on the ice, but competing against. Um, legendary figures which of you know which of course the longer you don't play the more legendary you become right and and so if Guy had ever pretended that he was the rocket or better than the rocket I mean he nobody would have accepted that but it wasn't in his nature anyway I mean he was he was he you know that he knew he was a, a star and had to be a star but but he had no sense of of privilege about him. He didn't, he didn't uh, carry himself around and strut like a star. Right. For the generations that didn't see him in his prime, what what made him special on the ice? Yeah. I mean, he, uh, I I mean, I think that the, (laughs) um, I mean, people have talked a lot today about his hair (laughs) and and in part because before a helmet, uh, you know, you could see hair. Uh, but also in part because it it was it was kind of the embodiment of of him on the ice because his hair looked different from other people's hair because he moved fast enough that it streamed out the back yeah. and and uh, but to me what was what was more interesting about his hair was not when it was in full stream it was when it flipped up just at the beginning because that was the sign he was on his way. <laughs> you know, that as soon as you could see it at the end, start to flip. It was like, oh boy, you know, <laughs> here it comes. And, and, and so, you know, you had a team like the Canadians that was the, the fastest team in the league. And, and, and here you had an electric player on the most electric team in the most electric building and and for for a decade and so it was just it was just fun it was noise it was excitement um and 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 he was you know that that there are a lot of great players on those teams but he was the you know he, he was the punctuation point of that I know folks uh, in Quebec and beyond may understand his cultural impact, but for those on the outside looking in, is there a way to describe what he meant to a generation of hockey fans and players in Quebec? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it it's it, it comes from the place of of hockey and of the Montreal Canadiens in the province of Quebec, and and to the the the, the Quebec culture and the French language, and and of course it did start with the rocket, um, and. I mean, one of the things that I I didn't understand when I was in Montreal, and, and not even until not that many years ago, but that there weren't very many French-Canadian players in the National Hockey League until the 1950s, and almost no stars. I mean, even names that I always assumed, you know, were Quebecers of Nuzi Lalonde and, right. and Frank Boucher. They were from Ottawa, or they were from uh, other parts of, of Ontario. And, and that the Rocket was really the first great Quebec francophone star. And, 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 that, and that as people have described of how, you know, he kind of, you know, he carried the hopes and expectations of a people, which sounds far overblown, it's pretty close to being true. I mean, and, and, and so many people who, who, who grew up, uh, you know, who were kids during the era of, of the Rocket, you know, went on to very prominent roles in in Quebec culture, in Quebec politics, and and that they they cite the Rocket as being a really important figure in their growing up and their and their sense of pride. Well, then you know, then you know, the Rocket uh, gets older and retires, and so then Beliveau, and then and then Guy Lafleur, and and uh, and and so. Um, uh, and and it's 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 a really hard. I mean, the rocket would have none of those kind of comparisons, or or, or you know, when people right. would tell stories about how important he was to the Quebec people, it's like I'm a hockey player. That's what I do. And 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 Jean Beliveau, I think, had an awareness of both. I mean, he knew that he was a hockey player, but he also knew he had some larger effect. He, and 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 was and was very good off the ice as well as on the ice. Guy, I think he he understood his importance, um, uh, uh, um, and and uh, and and was that kind of natural on the ice. Right. But off the ice, he had to really work at being what he he knew he needed to be, and that that larger figure. And and uh, um, and it was again, as I said earlier, it, that's not an easy thing to do and 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 to carry. And uh, and he did it. Right, and he did it with class, and he did it with dignity, and he learned how to do it so well that an entire generation of Quebecois players now cite him as that guy. Ken, I want to thank you for the perspective we never would have been able to bring to a day like this. As per usual, I really appreciate you taking the time. Not at all. Thanks a lot, Tim. Uh, there is the legendary Ken Dryden on the life of Guy Lafleur. Time for a break. Please don't go anywhere after it. Jesse will take over with your tweets and perhaps a little thank golf. It's Friday. Next, right here on Tim and Friends. It is 6.36 Eastern time on a Friday. Sorry, 6.26. Oh, okay. I can't oh, read time. That's, yeah. 6.26 Eastern on a Friday. I'm just trying to say, Jesse, it's about that time. Yeah, it is about that time. At a thank golf, it's Friday time. Yeah. Hey. It's a little thank golf, it's Friday oh, time. Listen for the sound effect. Are we getting the sound? Oh, oh, 
No sound effect today. Okay, so here's the deal with Thank Golf is Friday on this particular Friday. I want to highlight one of the things that uh, I think makes golf so great, and it's that age is often just a number. People as old as Tim can play. That cliche is on display this week at the PGA Tours Zurich Classic. It is a team event. Players paired up for the week, including father and son duo Bill and Jay Haas. Jay is 68 years of age. Nearly half a century after his PGA Tour debut, he's back in the field. He hasn't teed it up on tour since 2010, hasn't won since 1993. He and son Bill came into the week with the longest odds in the field. But it turns out the old man still got some game. Jay had four birdies as the duo shot a 7-under 65 in Thursday's four ball. If they make the weekend, Jay will become the oldest player in PGA Tour history to make a cut, a record held by the late, great Sam Snead, who just happened to be in the field (laughs) when Jay Haas made his PGA Tour debut in 1973. My first ever golf video game, Jay Haas was one of the guys that you wanted. Yeah, I mean, they have the pedigree. Bill Haas won a FedEx Cup uh, a long time ago now. He actually hasn't been that good, but... Looky here, they might make the cut. Why don't we check out the highlights from round two? What do you give me a yes or no? You think they're gonna do it? Make the cut? Yeah. I don't even know yet. I'm reading yeah. this for the first time. Yeah, you think so? Sure, why not? Part four ten. Otherwise, Jay. the rest of your thank golf was probably <laughs> sucks because they didn't make the cut. Long putt looking for birdie, but uh, a little too aggressive there for the 68-year-old. Has to settle for par. 11th hole, par 5. Jay, another birdie opportunity. The nine-time PGA Tour winner, Mini Fist Pump, moves their team to 10 under par after a bogey dropped the Haas team to 9 under. Now just one shot above the cut line. Son Bill. No. The water on 17 leads to bogey, dropping to... Eight under. So. Newman should sponsor them, so they're the Newman Hot. <laughs> the father's got to pick up the slack for par to oh, make the this. cut on the number. Look at this. And he finds the cup at 68 years, four months, and 20 days. Jay Haas becomes the oldest player to make a cut Come on. in PGA Tour history. You now, didn't know that was coming. You set I, it all up I, on the last I don't know. they make the When cut. I started the day, I knew there was a chance that they could struggle. But looky here, they did not struggle at all. Patrick Cantley and Xander Shoffley, two of the better players on tour currently right. leading the Zurich Classic, but we will have to keep tabs over the weekend on the father-son duo that is Bill and Jay Haas. It's just an That's, awesome story. That, I didn't, wasn't expecting to get something that good when looking at the Zurich Classic, a random team event. Right. But looky here. That's awesome. Uh, father and son. It gives hope to all us old guys, Jesse. By the way, I am counting. That's two shots on the show. <laughs> All right, for those of you watching on Sportsnet, here's what we got lined up for you. Hockey Central with our guy, Kenny Reed, Anthony Stewart, and Justin Bourne is coming up next. Meanwhile, Tim and Friends, to give you the selection here, continues on Sportsnet 360. We are talking Jays, Arden Zwelling, in about 60 seconds on whether or not George Springer is hurt as he returns to Houston. That's coming up on Tim and Friends. Hope you were able to join us uh, right off the top of the hour uh, for the tribute from Stephen Brunt to Guy Lafleur, and then the conversation with Ken Dryden on Guy Lafleur. Joe from Dryden 
tweeted in and said, what an amazing tribute from Ken Dryden in honor of the flower. And KD wrote in and said, please don't presume that only Quebec fans understand what Guy Lafleur meant. Growing up in the 70s, my entire household rooted for the Habs. The only jersey I ever bought was number 10, Lafleur, my hero. To me, he is the best of all time, and that team was magic. And Katie, off the top of the show, I attempted to put into context mm-hmm. what Lafleur meant to the rest of Canada as well. Because at the time, it was just a different era. And the Toronto Maple Leafs weren't very good. Um, as everyone knows, 1967, their last cup. So through those early 70s, uh, those teams were the most watched in Canada by far. And a lot of people outside of Quebec knew what Guy Lafleur was, knew that stride down the right side, mm-hmm. knew that hair flowing meant a certain thing. But those in Quebec who saw the legendary trio that was Maurice Richard, Jean Beliveau, and then Guy Lafleur knew what the francophone Quebecois player meant in that province. And I think that's what we were attempting to separate. But by no means am I saying that Guy Lafleur wasn't respected and or loved Mm -hmm. outside of Quebec. It was just there, that religion, that sainthood, those statues, something a little bit different. It's the jersey behind you that's that's right there. It it means something. It means something not only to to people in Montreal, but to to especially during that time meant something to, to everybody around Canada. All right, the Toronto Blue Jays in action tonight. Later start today, Blue Jays Central gets underway at 7.30 Eastern. First pitch just after 8 o'clock Eastern in Houston, where we join our next guest, Arden Zwelling from the At The Letters podcast. Arden, welcome back to Tim and Friends. How are you, buddy? What's going on, man? How are things? Uh, Very good, as a matter of fact. And uh, looking forward to the weekend and what should be some pretty damn good baseball in Houston, though... I thought we were going to get a little bit of a George Springer reunion, a little bit of a George Springer um, homecoming. What's going on with George Springer? Yeah, you may have to wait a day or two for that. Obviously, he got into yesterday's game and took a couple of uh, plate appearances. It's funny with him, right? Because if you're watching closely, you would have seen him sort of dropping to his knee and almost collapsing on a couple of swings. And you think, uh-oh, that doesn't look good. But then you kind of remember George Springer does that a lot. <laughs> Not <laughs> yeah. just sort of how he swings the bat sometimes. So I asked him today, I said, how much of that was the discomfort you're feeling? How much of that is the way you swing the bat? And he said, yeah, it's a little bit of both. So clearly George Springer did not feel as comfortable as he would have liked to in those plate appearances yesterday. So he's going to get another night here to sort of let that forearm slash wrist area improve. It's possible he could pinch hit. I think the Blue Jays, if they have it their way, they're up 8 nothing, and they don't have to use them at all. If he absolutely has to be used, you might see him. But I really do think the Blue Jays would like to give him a full night off and then reevaluate him Saturday to potentially play then. Does last year play into the way this works? Like, I can't help but think that him wanting to play so much last year and the Jays giving him the opportunity to play and then maybe regretting giving him the opportunity to play, like, I can't help but think that all of that plays into this. Oh, 100%, Tim. What the Blue Jays and their medical staff learned about George Springer during that time was huge. That informs everything going forward, look, this is somebody with a pretty exceptional pain tolerance. Remember, George Springer, during spring training last year, was playing with a grade 2 oblique strain and didn't know it, and just came in one day and said, yeah, my side's kind of tight. They sent him for an MRI, and they said, dude, you have a tear in your oblique that you are playing with. Why don't you feel it? Why is this bothering you more 
uh, than it should be for mere mortals. This is a guy who will play through a lot of discomfort and obviously desperately wants to be on the field. And that extends to this year after everything that happened in 2021 when it wasn't just the oblique. It was also the quad. It was also the knee. And it was only 78 games played in the first year of a rather sizable contract. So all those things play into this. And then the month of April also plays into this because if it's September, if it's a pennant race, I bet you George Springer's in there tonight. And 20 and 20 plays into this, right? Like this is where 20 and 20 and that schedule that you and I talked about ad nauseum from the start of the year, the the 30 and 31, this is where all that comes into play with Teoscar, with Jansen, and with Springer. Like all of a sudden you're looking at this lineup and going, wait a second, this isn't how it was drawn up. This isn't what was advertised. No. This isn't what I saw in the commercials. No, totally. And the sports, a, a short condensed spring training factors into that as well, right? We're seeing it across the league. It's uh, you know, We're hyper-focused on the Blue Jays, obviously, and the mm-hmm. injuries that they've had here. But, I mean, lots of teams are dealing with this stuff. You're not going to see Jose Altuve for the Astros this weekend. He's on the injured list. They've also got Presley and McCullers out. Every team is sort of dealing with the soft tissue injuries that are a result of very routine-oriented individuals having to rush through their routines in a highly motor-specific sport. So uh, that that plays into this as well. So it's unfortunate that we're here again a year later talking about will he, won't he play with George Springer because all of us, fans, observers, media, the Blue Jays themselves, just want to see George Springer leading off and running around in center field, but the, the reality is this is the time for, for caution and not a time to push anything. That said, 8-5 and five is pretty damn good, isn't it? Considering how they played, yeah. considering the way those series have gone, I mean, they have as many wins as any team in the American League. And you look at, you mentioned it, the offense really hasn't arrived yet and hasn't been what we all thought it would be. You, any reasonable person would expect this offense to be better going forward, not only as it gets more healthy, but as guys like Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., whose numbers are fantastic, but clearly isn't quite as dialed in at the plate as he could be, as those guys get more locked in and as this lineup arrives. Now, as some of the starters in the rotation start to really hit their form and go deeper into their outings, I mean, seeing Kevin Gosman go eight innings plus one batter yesterday was almost like, what, what world is this? What sport <laughs> am I watching? This doesn't happen anymore. And, you know, especially not uh, in this 2021 season where we're mostly seeing pitchers get up like 85, 90 pitches. I think only one pitcher across MLB this year has thrown over 100 pitches so far. So uh, as starters get more stretched out and the offense starts to arrive a bit more, I think it's a reasonable expectation to, get to, to, to expect the Blue Jays to continue on an upward progression. Alright, since we're talking about pitching, Ross Stripling, Justin Verlander, and what a story Verlander is, isn't he? Yeah, Verlander is uh, fantastic to watch. Last time the Blue Jays saw him, he did something pretty special. There's a cool class of like old dudes getting it done in MLB this year. You know, Granke's had his moments. Adam Wainwright is over the age of 40 and still putting up, you know, in seasons close to 200 innings. Clayton Kershaw and what he did, obviously, uh, the other week, carrying a, a perfect game late into that one until Dave Roberts got in the way. I mean, they, you know, it, it is cool to see this old guard of pitchers in a sport that just keeps getting younger and younger against hitters who keep getting better and better, continuing to be crafty and find ways to get out with diminished stuff 
and pitch rather than throw. Like in a game that is so predicated on velocity, velocity these days and high spin stuff and just overpowering uh, fastballs and curveballs and sliders, it's kind of cool to see somebody just carve up and paint his own. Um, we're not expecting, like, I mean, he's got three no-hitters in his career. Haven't two of them come against the Jays? <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah. they have. Yeah. Uh, all right, so uh, Verlander, Strip, what, what do we expect from Stripling in his second start as a member of the Jays? I think a Sorry, great result. Issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think a great result and, and kind of funny based off of what I just said would be, like, two trips through the order and, like, four-plus innings. Yeah, I think the Blue Jays would be pretty happy with that. He's not all the way stretched out, and he's also your number five starter, so he's not someone who you feel super comfortable facing a lineup a, a third time. So if Ross Tripping could be efficient with his pitches, get some quick outs, um, and turn this lineup over a couple times, and then you know basically get through the fourth inning, including the happy turning things over to their bullpen from there, which is well-rested, thanks to what Kevin Dawson did yesterday. I don't know if the Blue Jays will be super stoked to go back to Jordan Romano right away, just considering his velocity was down and he has been worked quite a bit early in the season. Like yeah. I said, Charlie Montoya would love a nice six-run cushion to you know, to go to some of the lower leverage relievers in, in his bullpen and get this thing to the finish line, but the circumstances of baseball do not always cooperate. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I noticed uh, in a couple of different reports about uh, Romano, some warning signs, some red flags, and among those is the velocity, Arden. Yeah, his velo has been a little bit down this year, and like it's interesting, right? He's not missing bats as much as he has in the past, either in the zone or by getting hitters to expand the zone right. and to chase. So it's kind of like a case of are you an optimistic person or are you a pessimistic person, right? Because <laughs> if you're optimistic... You say, well, look, he, he hasn't had his best stuff to this point. It's a short spring, and some of these games have been played in cold environments, and he's been worked an awful ton. And look at him. He's got seven saves. He's right. only allowed one earned run on the season. You can only expect him to get better from here. Um, and the results have really belied the process, so that's great. But if you're a pessimistic person, you're saying, well, but the results belied the process. And the process hasn't looked that great. The stuff hasn't quite been the same, and you would expect that would catch up to him. So it really is something that we have to monitor and keep an eye on going forward is some of these underlying numbers with uh, Jordan Romano and what they say about the way that he's throwing the ball, but it's also results-based business, and there's absolutely no arguing with the results Jordan Romano has provided this club to this point. This team only wins tight games. They haven't had a blowout yet. I'm neither a glass half full nor a glass half empty guy. I am a, isn't it amazing we have this fear that holds liquid for us? <laughs> isn't it amazing yeah. that we know all this stuff about Jordan Romano too, right? <laughs> That's this true. Was 20 years ago, we'd yeah. have no idea. Yeah. We'd be saying, wow, he's incredible, right? We'd have yeah. no idea. Seven saves, he's been perfect. Yeah, 30 straight. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Mariano Rivera. Without a doubt. Uh, all right, last one, and it is uh, kind of a talking point here around Vladimir Guerrero's patience, and that's because of the lineup that you and I were talking about here. I'm not sure the bingo card read as it does today at the start of the year, and I know Vladdy's been uh, preaching patience and others have talked about his patience, but it's got to be hard for a guy who wants to swing the bat like Vladdy does. Yeah, he's not at the plate to draw walks, right? Like, you know, he's not there to walk 200 times a year. He's there to hit 200 times a year. Like, he didn't get to the majors by drawing walks. He got there by absolutely tattooing the ball 
to all fields and putting up crazy exit velocities. He likes to hit, and we forget every year, annually, how old he is. He's still very young, and he's still getting accustomed to big league approaches. He obviously, he's got some big league pitching, but really just the way that he is being pitched and the pitches that he is seeing. And, you know, look, if you were standing on the mound against Vladimir Guerrero Jr. right now, you give him a fastball over the heart of the plate, are you challenging Vladimir no. Guerrero Jr.? Of no. course you're not. No. You're going to try to nibble. You're going to try to get him to expand. So, really, it is on Vlad to just be patient and be disciplined and force pitchers back into the zone. That could be a bit of a process. That could be a tough thing for a young guy with some pretty high aspirations of putting up pretty big numbers. But, you know, he has to have some faith in kind of the long-term approach here that as he forces pitchers back into the zone and takes his walks, he will see better pitches right. to hit. And we all know what happens when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. gets good pitches to hit. Yeah, well, great point. Great point. Uh, Arden, great catching up with you. Thanks for doing this. Uh, and enjoy Houston. Thanks, buddy. Be well. Uh, there is Arden Zwelling. Minute Maid Park as the Jays open up a three-game set with the Astros. Still unbeaten, Jesse, in a series this year. 3-0-1 after taking two of three at Fenway Park. Time for our final break. Last call with Rubinoff is next. We'll crown a best of the week winner and get you to your weekend. All right, kids, here's how the best of the week works. We offer you nominees earlier in the show. You go to Twitter, you voted, we Twitter counted, and our winner is a young man showing a little bit of sportsmanship. Mm. Our little league good sport in a landslide. Overwhelming. Overwhelming win. If you missed it, here's how it looks to win the best of the week. Just show good sportsmanship. Oh, a little faster, baby. Hey, Avery, choke up on the bat. Choke up on the bat, baby. Oh, come on, Avery. Choke up. You got it, Avery. Choke up on the bat, Avery. Look at right. That is so sweet. There you go, buddy. There you go. Swing fast. That is so sweet. Go, run, 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 That might be my favorite thing in all of sports. That is the young child first learning how to play baseball, hitting, making contact, being so surprised by their contact that they stand there for a split second and then there's the realization that I'm running here because I actually hit the damn thing. I love it. Uh, that's what became of my career when I played uh, during the week. You I'm just so, get surprised when you make contact. I'm so amused by the little things in sports, and that is one of the great little things yeah. in sports. A, little, a child realizing that they have made contact and they now have to run. That's awesome. Yeah, um, so good. One of the big things in sports is uh, Joel Embiid. He's 7'2". Yeah. And according to Adrian Wojnarowski, he... Uh, the Sixers plan to list Embiid as available with a right thumb sprain for Game 4. Available. According to the team. Okay, so, so do you play him in Game 4, hoping that you finish off the Raptors and then he gets time to rest, or do you sit him and you hope to beat the Raptors without Joel Embiid? I think you play him and you'll have a, a I don't know what, five days in between series, probably. If Joel Embiid is out, 
We all know the number by now. If you don't, you haven't been watching the show. 143-0. NBA teams with a 3-0 lead are 143-0 in those series. They've never lost. If Joel Embiid is indeed out, does that change your opinion of anything in this series? No. Can I say something? It does for me. And I have been poo-pooing the idea of anything like that for a while now. That's the one massive advantage that they have that the Raptors can't counter. Is that seven-foot two size. Yeah. If he's out, then it's on Harden and Tobias Harris. Tyrese Maxey will still make an impact. The rest of them, for me, could get very interesting. It'd be nice to get one, but then you got to go to Philly. Right. And that's the difficulty. It's a different, different atmosphere. I'm there. not writing 143 and 1, but, but if he's injured, I'm telling you there's a chance. Um, one thing quickly before we get to uh, more in the NBA playoffs. Uh, George Carl, a Hall of Fame coach, yep. tweeting this out. Uh, learning more about NBA Top Shot, uh, teach me what I should know about it. Do you think that I should be put in touch with George, George Carl? Maybe I'll reach out and tell him to stay very, very far away. What's your uh, what's your I don't want to talk about it. At one point over $1,500 card. The Lonzo uh, not Lonzo. LaMelo one was like at one point 3500. Yeah. It's in the hundreds now. What'd you pay for it? Live and learn. That was free. It was uh, one of the bonus packs. Yeah. Oh, does that change everything for you? That changes things? No, it's still a profit. Um, I'm trying to tell you. Yeah. Well, I thought you paid 75 bucks for it. No, no. It was free. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. That might have been that might have been fake news. I'll have to look at it. Uh, NBA playoffs continue tonight. You the don't Miami even know what you have. Must be nice. in control. Somewhere Neil Mattis is rolling over. <laughs> yeah, Neil's not happy with yeah. me right now. Uh, the Heat up 2-0 against the Hawks, while the Bucks and Bulls, Suns and Pelicans are both tied at one. Chris Middleton and Devin Booker will both miss the rest of their first-round series for the Bucks and Suns, respectively, which just sucks for basketball. Uh, are either of those teams in trouble yes, both without of them. their stars? Both of them. Yes, both of them. Listen, this is when you... I think Giannis will be able to drag his team through against the Bulls. I think it'll be a lot more interesting than it should be for both of those teams. Will they get through? Probably. But once you get to that second round, if they're not back, you're in trouble. Yes. You are in trouble. And if you extend yourselves a little too much in those first two rounds because you're missing stars like that, uh, I think that's a serious, serious uh, shot to the championship aspirations Two pretty of both good players. of those teams. Yeah, that's... that's- Championship aspirations, both of those teams. Yeah, not great. Uh, A wild scene in double-A baseball. Portland Sea Dogs and the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. Fitting. Pitcher Marcel Renteria drills Red Sox prospect Tyreek Reed on the hand and afterwards has to, hey, here we go. Has some words. Reed doesn't like it. Throws a big punch. Bench is clear. Reed was uh, minding his own business until he heard some words from Renteria. So, Tim, what do you think he said? This went south for I, Renteria. I, I don't it. know what Renteria said, but I can guarantee you one thing, Jesse. He's not going to say it again, at least to Tariq Reed. Because off the top, if you saw the start of all this, he made a big mistake yeah. saying whatever he said to Tariq Reed. Because that was one punch, and then he immediately bolted to the next person. 
writhing on the ground in pain afterwards. Not a good look. Okay, uh, quickly, Red Bull will make history on Sunday. Two U.S. Air Force pilots will fall into a synchronized nosedive from 14,000 feet in the air. They'll stop their engines, skydive from one plane into the other, all in under a minute. They'll skydive from From one one plane plane into the the other. other? No one at the controls of the plane. Would you do this? That was a joke. Have you ever been skydiving? No, but I would. I don't know. I wouldn't. I mean, this is what, what is did that? You, did you Why, ask me that, that question so that you would say I wouldn't? No, no, that was just a natural <laughs> reaction. I'm scared of heights and flying and a lot of other things, as you know. We're done for the week. <laughs> we want you to have a good weekend. There's a lot to unpack here, but we don't have time for it because it's Friday then. It's Saturday, Sunday. It's Friday then. It's Saturday, Sunday. What? It's Friday then. It's Friday, Sunday. What? So long ago, I looked like this. That's right. That's what I looked like in 1994. I, I mean, I you could tell it was already, you know, it, hurts. It, was already, it was already starting there up top. You could tell. Sorry? You could, you could tell there. Do you speak from experience? Perhaps is this the similar thing going on? Look at the picture of me. Uh-oh. Now put it beside Jesse Rubinoff. Oh, no, don't do this. And let me ask you, don't Mr. Confidence Rubinoff. Oh, you could tell it was already going there. Everything okay up there? You're starting to recede a little bit, I've noticed. Smart fakes inside. Tatum spins and he puts it in. Was that the ascension? Was that the one we'll look back at and say that was the start of Jason? You looked at me like you were going to do something. I was going to spin around you. Yeah, I was going to spin around you. Oh, look at that. Woo, that was quick. Faster than Jason Tatum. I look like Sid Sixero. Ken Reed has dropped by in the first hour too sweet to be sour. Kenny Reed back in the saddle. How are you, buddy? Such a big day. I didn't make the lineup for <laughs> That's how big a day it is. He's, He's the only one here for an hour. What how about, about, how about are you talking to me? Thank you, Jesse. No, no, no. no. Oh, my you list. need to be on that list is my point. You're the only one that's here for an hour. The Raptors need to win more it. than I need to be on that list. That's my little <laughs> match game for you guys. We get to break. We've updated the board. The board has been updated. And there you go. Ah, uh, yes. Ken Reed has been added to the mix. There we go. This is an ego business, isn't it, media? Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend.